What's up, everybody? How you doing? We over here for another episode of Bring the Smoke, and I have my good friend, Dr. Antipas Harris. Don't call him Antipas, Antipas Harris in here, man. He, This is a guy who's done so many different things for our community. He takes care of the homeless, and I let him give you the details. He does great events. He, he works with the police. Pretty much, he does. we do a lot of the same thing, but he do it on the other side of the water. But he also, he's worked for T.D. Jakes. He's worked with some of the big, big names about kingdom ministry, but the reason why I have him here, and we'll talk about other things, people writing on my wall, dude, the other day, and they were talking about, you know, religion and things of that nature. But anyway, let me stop right there, man. We're going to get into what it is. Let, let Dr. Antipas Harris in, introduce himself and let you know exactly who he is. Hi, Dr. Maxwell. It's so great to be here, and uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I've been talking and about um, the state of our affairs in this country and state of faith, the role of faith in the public square, and the things that we do at the Urban Renewal Center is trying to bear witness, uniting the community for positive change. So we do that whether we're lifting people who are in homelessness or we're now working in what they call the Alice population with this access limited, income constrained, but employed. In layman turn, working but can't make ends meet. And there's so many people in our community that are experiencing that these days. They're working, their fingers to the bones, but they can't make ends meet. Some, they have to choose whether they're gonna pay for rent or food and, and forget the activities for kids and all types of other things that they need to make their life uh, you know, comfortable. So that, that, that group is growing larger and larger and larger. So I have a real burden for them. And then also we see all across the country, a lot of violence and it's such a mixture from gang violence domestic violence police brutality it just goes on and on it's gun violence but as we can see in memphis that wasn't a gun they beaten the guy to death you know um so um it's such a wide range and so many arguments about all kind of stuff and uh, even here in the state of virginia the huge com conversation about CRT, you know, and half people hadn't even read CRT. They're just arguing about something they don't even know about. So it's very interesting how um, we're all divided about things that we don't quite know about. And the funny thing about it is, I'm going to just go with the CRT real quick. We'll yeah. come back to, because we do so many different things for the homeless. We do too, just like you do. But the critical race theory, the funny thing is, no one teaches that in high school. No one really teaches that in high school. Critical race theory is something you learn when you go to law school to learn about different nuances and, and um, what you call it, implicit biases and things of that nature. But what black history is not is not that. It's not critical race theory. And so what, what amazes me is I look at Florida when he outlawed black history. You ain't outlawed European history. You didn't outlaw, you know, Jewish history with Holocaust and things of that nature. But it's always a problem with the black people. Let's they, talk about that though. Yeah. Because of course nobody's going to outlaw Holocaust history or Jewish history. Why because when because whenever there is any ounce of anti-Semitism, the Jewish community rallies together and speak out. You cannot get on CNN and say anything. You can't get it on Fox. You can't get you can't. But when it comes, which is great, but when it comes to black uh, insulting of the black community, people get away with it. And I mean, you got a governor in Florida who outright insults the black community and gets away with it. But the funny thing about it, when we look at the Jewish community, you look at the other communities, let, let's, let's get it 100%. We were brought over here as slaves, taken away from our homeland, heritage stripped away, language stripped away. 
just all types of human right, right, rights. Jews go through stuff, they get in money. Asians come across the water. I ain't trying to sound because I'm not racist, so I'm just letting you know. They come across and they get interest-free loans. That's how they're able to get different um, cleaners and stuff like that. They ain't give us anything. We don't get interest-free loans. We don't get the subsidized um, loans and things that other people get. We didn't get the help that other people got. Like King would be fussing about this back in the day when he said, you keep telling us to bring us ourselves up our own bootstraps. We don't even have any boots. But when y'all settled in the West and the Midwest, you gave Caucasians all these different loans and gave them free land. You gave them free land and free money to get them started. What is it about the Negro? I mean, every other group that came as an immigrant somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, that is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes' color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land or nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base and yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate and therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, oh, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. You know, we start doing big things. They blow down the whole city. You know what I'm saying? They'll tear, tear down the whole city. Okay, black people stay away from us. You know what? Then you stay away from you. You start striving. Then they burn, they burn down the black Wall Street. You know what I'm saying? You you, you start striving. Then they come to the, the, they'll tear up the, the, Rosewood, the, the Mississippi. Like the Rosewood, Rosewood was in Mississippi. Florida. Yeah. It's like, and the governor has so much insensitivity. The whole, though it was an broadly um, practiced in the state of Florida, historically, black babies were used as baits for alligators. That's a fact, historical fact. Now it wasn't broadly practiced, but it was specifically practiced in Florida. So for a governor now to just carelessly attack CRT that he has not read, um, and to, it, it is, is an insult, and I would even go so far to say an assault on the black consciousness. And, um, and, and so that's problematic. And it's problematic for anybody 
who has not read CRT to be attack it. And it's even more of a tragedy when pastors start siding with politics and attacking CRT when they haven't read it. But, but my thing is CRT is not really, I mean, I was a principal. We don't teach, black history is not critical race theory. But if you haven't read it, you name it everything. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I get, they haven't read it. They but just I'm, label anything, right. anything but they my, don't want you to say. But, they say, oh, that's that CRT, that's a CRT. But it, right, they label CRT, <laughs> but they label black history as CRT, but it's not even CRT. No, that's CRT is a theory. And the thing is, we all, most black people share, if I use theological language, the same hermeneutic as the uh, theorist of critical race theory. But we don't necessarily, I mean, what scholars agree on all the same theory? It's like, it's the theory. Right, exactly. it's, and it's a theory to try to interpret a historical experience. And the historical experience is a fact, even if CRT is interpreting it wrongly. We don't all subscribe to CRT, but we all agree that there is a color of the law. Yeah. We all agree that there is a disproportionality of the way the law has been handled historically. We all agree that historically, historically, policing started as slave patrol. I don't need CRT to tell me that. That's a historical fact. Right. It's a historical fact, as you said, that black redlining was a historical fact. CRT tries to explain or interpret how that got encoded in the law, but it, it is what it is, and it still is the case today. We have invisible fence people. We have so many, especially in the in the state of Virginia, because it's such an at-will state. A lot of implicit bias and, quite frankly, explicit, explicit bias yes. lodges in the private sector. Well, look, that's what I tell you too, Lady Justice. I already let you know she ain't fair. I say this a lot to my church people. The scales of justice are not balanced. No. To me, they let you see. It's one law for one person, another law for another person. If you shoot a black, if you kill a black person and you're white, if you're a non-black person, non-person of color, and you kill a black person, there's a 250% chance that you won't get convicted. That means you got to kill 2.5 Negroes before they think you crazy, right? In a stand-your-ground state. Now, this is FBI statistics. This ain't me. This is FBI statistics. <clears throat> A non-person of color kills a black person that'll stand your ground and say there's a 350% chance that they'll get off. You got to kill 3.5 Negroes before they think that you racist or some problem. So there's more than like, I mean, I didn't even know statistics went over 100%. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, 350% chance? Dude, that's more than 100%, right? 350% chance that you are not going to be convicted if you shoot me and you not, then you don't look like me. So that's the whole problem. <clears throat> the black man, the black woman has no respect in America. And people say, yeah, Barack Obama came the president. We understand that, but how much stuff went on when he was president behind the scenes. Plus black people still being killed. Black people still being over police. Now I love our police chief, Chief Drew. We worked with him very well. And when I was the NAAC president, I felt like my job was very easy because I trust him and I know 
that they really go beyond the call of duty to make sure that they don't use excessive force. It still could happen here. That's why I do the in-touch events. That's why to bring the police and the, and, the, and the community together. That's why I'm a volunteer chaplain. That's why I'm on the police foundation to make sure I have a seat at the table so if something does go wrong, I'm there. And to also be proactive to make sure stuff doesn't go wrong. So the thing about it is some people will call you racist because you speak a truth to power. <clears throat> I have a lot of white friends. <clears throat> But at the end of the day, I'm going to still speak truth to power. Well, I'm going to tell them too. You know, and that's another thing. Um, it, it, critical race theory is not, can be relegated to a black-white issue on its, on, on its face. It's a systemic and a structural analysis. And I'm not saying I agree with all of it, but that's what it is. And, and the analysis is, is such that it even suggests that you can be black and still be part of a racist system. I mean, we see it play out in, in Memphis, right? Where you got the yeah. five police officers yeah. who killed another guy. That was a black guy who killed another guy. I think it was Walter Scott, one of those guys in in um, in, in, um, in North Carolina who was killed in Charlotte. Years ago when there was a riot in Charlotte, there was a police killing. That was a black police killed a black person. Because the way that um, a racist system plays out Anybody can embody it, right? You don't have to be white to embody it. You can right. be black and embody it. You can be white and don't embody it. When you're talking about the color of a system, and so it's quite possible that a person can be African-American and still embody a racist system and implement, and, and, and if it benefits me and I'm a selfish person, I can easily enter into it and you know it, it helps me. But if, but if I'm concerned about the community and the nation at large, I step back and look at a system and ask the question, why is that system that way? And why is it that it's 300% chance that if you're a white police officer, you won't get indicted for killing? This ain't person? even a police officer. This is white people, period. Person. All right, you're, it's not even police. That's what I'm saying. So call it what you may. Come up with your own theory. The question still is the same. Right. Why is this historic practice continued to being a practice today? Wow. And you, why is it torturing people in every single generation? And it's amazing how you brought up the black people. And I, I just look at us, the self-hate we have. I done been pulled over by police in East Point, not Atlanta. East Point. So I had to make the distinction. So I'm in East Point. <laughs> Atlanta got too much crying to go on. They, they bother you like that. But East Point, I get pulled over. I have me and three other track kids in the car because we, 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 um, this is when I was in high school and ran track and we go and they just pulled over no reason because we black. And the dude started talking to me a different way. And, and then the black guy was worse than the white guy. Mm -hmm. And then the white guy, I guess, even though he was rude in the beginning, he looking at the black dude like, man, you way worse than me. And then he even kind of calmed him down, which was, was, was crazy. Which that was when NWA was out, you know, black cop trying to show out for the white cop. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so you look at it, if you hate yourself so much because you are buying into um, a system and what King would call it would be the drum major instinct. Mm -hmm. King said everybody want to be a part of a culture that's powerful. So even though he said he was in prison and saw the white prison guards and he found out how much they made, he said, man, you need to be out here marching with us. You poor just like us. And that's when he really started doing everything together. That's when they killed him, when he started saying, you know what, this ain't just black people, this poor people, period. Right? But the drum major instinct would say, okay, even though I'm black, I'm a cop. And so the cop gives me that power. So I'm going to relate more to the blue than the black. 
Because the drum major instinct makes me want to be what? In charge. The drum major instinct means you the one out in front. And everybody see you. They see the whole band, but the drum major out there doing everything else. And that's what he would call the drum major instinct. And that's the problem with some of our black police officers. I'm not saying the problem with all of them, but for those individuals to go track that man down and beat him like that and not know, you know, they free. Because I don't know if their body cam were on, but the, what really taped them was the, the lights, um, the cameras on the poles in, 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 the, in the city. Yeah, I mean, I think two things. One, it's not just police officers. This happens in corporate America. Uh, it Ooh, happens reverend. everywhere. Of course, it played itself out in the police officer because that's a a, uh, a profession that involves that potentially involves interaction that can be devastating, but <clears throat> physically devastating, um, as we saw with uh, Tyree Tyrese Nichols. But um, we see it in corporate America. I mean, we see it on the Supreme Court. I mean, you can have a black person who does Red not brain. care about. Black people. And, and people, don't you think we need more black police officers? We need more black police officers who care about black people. We Don't you think we need more black CEOs? We need black CEOs who care about black people. If you Don't you think we need more women in leadership? We need women in leadership who actually care about women. Because you could be in leadership and completely get intoxicated with the power of leadership and perpetuate the same system that has been around all along. And then just because we have black people up there, if they become intoxicated, if we, don't exclude me, if we become intoxicated with the power of the system, we can then become supporters of the system that we once critiqued. What's so wild is, that's a drum major instinct again. You want to be the only one there. You feel special because you're the only one in the room. Yeah. And so even when I was... When I began to see this when I was at Georgia Southern in the beginning, you know, and I was about to say ninth grade, and, and as a freshman year, you're like, man, you see black people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the next year, you see a few, and by the time you get your senior year, man, man, ain't nobody in here but me. You know, and, and, you know, and, and, and you see how everything kind of gets weaned out. But you could get to the point like, wow, everybody looking at you like, oh, you, you, you an anomaly, you different, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God. But I, so many black people do have abilities. But sometimes you don't know how to fight for yourself. Dude, I made an A on all my tests. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm, a, I'm smart. I ain't dumb. You know what I'm saying? I'm a nerd, but I still hurt you if you come at me. But at the end of the day, I always had A on my test. One day, somebody had the same exact answers I had, and then the teacher called me up like, hey, man, I'm going to give you this because you cheated on your test. Well, I cheated on my test. What you mean? Cheated on my test. Well, you got the same I said, what he got? He got C's and D's, right? Why the hell did I cop off his paper and I got an A on everything else? Mm-hmm. So you going to literally call me in so we can go talk to the president about this and she let it go. But how many black people that don't have that instinct because my mom and my dad raised me differently because some people are raised. Now they tell me they had that talk with you, hey, when you get put up by the police, be quiet, do whatever you need to do, live to see another day. You understand? Yeah. And whatever that, you know, just just even if they're disrespecting you, be quiet. And I've been in that situation many a day. So that yeah. talk has saved my life. And that's why I'm still here. You understand? I had it here. The reason why I started in touch basketball was here. I had an accident trying to go get medicine for my neighbor. I have an accident. I'm driving a car in front of me. A car in front of the car in front of me stops in the middle of the street. No light in sight. He was trying to make them hit him, but I hit the car behind. Boom. Hit them. See if everybody okay. Ten minutes later, I call my neighbor. Hey, I'm not going to make it right now. I'm having an accident. Cop. Why are you on the phone? Just starts cursing me out, just living on me. I'm like, I'm, and I'm so in shock that I ain't even saying nothing. 
So which is good, because sometimes I'm looking at him like in my mind, this little cop, you know, he's going to get screwed up out here, you know. But a white lady came from across the street. I can't even tell you what she looks like to this day. Came across the street, fussed at the cop. We can't do that. Hey, why are you fussing at him? It's not even his fault. That guy in front of him stopped. They left. They tried to make that car. She told the whole scene, oh, it's because he's black. And she just went off, right? So then my neighbor on the phone, even though he's sick, He's so worried about the situation, he comes up there to the scene to make sure I'm okay. You feel me? I started doing the interns from that. And the funny thing about it, I would have anxiety, dude, going into the police station. I ain't no nervous dude. But I'd be like, man, because I knew, like, if I see this dude, am I going to be scared? Am I going to cuss him out? Like, I didn't know what would happen because you got so many emotions. Because I'm like, oh, my God, I started this interns. Now I became a volunteer chaplain. Now I got to go inside this police station. What if I see this dude? What, what, what's going to be my reaction? What's going to be my emotion? And I remember I shared, because the FBI, I worked when I, when I did, when I started working with them on some things. In fact, they had some training at my, at my church. And I said this in the, in the seminar about how I started. And I just remember uh, Chief Myers came to me and said, hey, now what date this happened? And I think that was his way of asking who was the cop, right? Because I ain't never seen him. So apparently, I'm sure they fired him. <laughs> I'm saying, but the thing about it is, even now, even though I work closer with the police, I'm a chaplain, I'm this, I still nervous when I'm driving down the street, especially if I'm not in Newport News, because you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. All of this, the, the basketball, all this came from, what if I wasn't calm? What if someone who is calm, who is not calm, is in this situation? And one year, they tried to water down the basketball event because they said, the, you got too many superstars out here. They beat them so bad. It's about competition, friendly competition. It's not about friendly competition. It's about me keeping police from shooting my people. Let's get that right. Because you know who you're going to shoot more? You're not going to shoot this. There's a more chance that you're going to shoot that star. You know why? That star going to be 6'5". That star going to be used to getting catered to. And when you come talk to him in a different way, he ain't going to be calm like me probably because he used to being catered to and he ain't really, maybe he didn't have that talk. Who you talking to? And then he going to get shot. Now, the person who ain't good, they may not even be used to being catered to. Maybe they'll be more subservient when the cop come and live another day. But who I'm worried about are the superstars. Who I'm worried about are those black kids that's coming out the hood. That's that's Now, anybody can come, but I am concerned about that superstar who might run into that cop for no reason and sit up there and say something back and end up getting shot. So, no, I'm not worried about competition. I'm worried about making sure that Black people see cops as human and cops see police as human and create a positive interaction. Because the only time I see a certain demographic is when I'm coming to arrest you. Of course, it's easy for me to dehumanize you. And if the only time I see you coming to my neighborhood is when you are arresting my mom and my dad and my cousin, it's easy for me to dehumanize you. So we try to create some positive, you know, so they can have some type of, 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 of humanization. And one of the greatest, I know I'm talking a long time. One of the greatest testimonies I have was when this white cop said, man, Maxwell, Maxwell, man, I went to the neighborhood and the dude kept saying, coach, coach. I said, he said, man, you know how people be calling your name, calling somebody's name? You be like, man, would they answer this guy? And so I turned around like, would somebody answer this guy? And I looked in the window and the guy said, hey, what's up, coach? Dude, it was one of the people I coached at the InTouch basketball, man. He called me coach. He was all teary-eyed, you know what I'm saying? And it was just amazing that the emotion, he said, man, he looked at me like a human. He looked at me like his coach. He didn't look at me like a cop. And so that's the type of interaction you try to create. But a lot of people, if they see me on the street and they know me as the black man in the office, 
But then I'm blowing the horn trying to say, hey, they scared to look because they don't know who I am. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's how you combat that. But anyway, yeah, and then, I mean, I think you rightly said that because when when there is a, a a social consciousness, no matter what the race, we care about everybody. Yes, and everybody has a fair shot. Everybody has is equally protected, and everybody cares for everybody. And that's what King was talking about when he uh, was promoting this concept of the beloved community. I've been really working on that concept. Um, how do you develop a beloved community? He said, even the ones who hate me have a place in the beloved community because the hate will be turned to love. And when that happens, I welcome them. I don't say, well, that's the dude that used to hate, that's good, that's the white dude, that's the black, you know. It's a human person whose life, whose value is affirmed is it, and is included as part of the community. Man, will we ever get past this man? I mean, I'm I think just we can. I mean, I, you know, I think about Josiah Royce, um, the turn of the century, turn of the 19th to 20th century. He was a professor at Harvard. You know, he was um, a W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, one of his supervisors. W.E.B. Du Bois, the first Ph.D. from Harvard, African-American Ph.D. from Harvard. He said it with uh, Josiah Royce. And he, Josiah Royce had this idea uh, that it is possible. Now, he was labeled as a absolute real, real, realist, right? Uh, idealist, um, idealist, absolute idealist, because this concept that we talk about is sound philosophical and beyond human experience. But that's what visions are. Visions start in the mind, start as an idea, and then you find ways to, to, to implement that vision in practice and try to mobilize people around the vision so that we can start embodying the vision and you know so i mean w boyd thought it was all too philosophical so he turned to sociology and said because we need to concretize some of these ideas yeah so i think if we find ways to concretize the ideas and move from absolute idealism to concrete reality i think it's possible dude i knew you were smart but now i know you're really smart because dude i tried to read <laughs> Man, I tried to read one of W.E.B. Du Bois, man. Man, it just took me like three hours to read a chapter, man. I needed a dictionary for it. Like, this dude, right? Dude, I was like, dude, this book is crazy over my head, man. I was there, yeah, you give me the cliff notes, dude. Cause I, 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 I hear his speeches. I talk, I, I get it. But man, I, man, that Joker book was bad. I was like, dude, I need to read the dictionary tomorrow, man. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's amazing how you... How you you when you look at King and the theology, and he spoke with with a prophetic voice, and his root was Christianity. Yes, right. And so that's why you were here. I'm so glad we went through this long journey to get to this point. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment. Yes, However frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed earth will rise again. Yes, sir. How long? Not long. Yes, sir. Because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. How long? Not long. How long? Because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, sir. How long? How long? Not long. How long? 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 How
Get your book, man. Cause yeah, um, tell them or, or whatever books you have. Yeah. I know you Amazon. Have. I have nine up there. Nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Amazon, my latest book is Christianity: The White Man's Religion. Don't argue over the title. Read the book. <laughs> Once you read the book, you'll see what I'm trying to get at is revisioning a practice of Christianity that takes seriously the kaleidoscope of human expression, and that we all are gift of God, and we all have a place in the communion of God. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's Christianity, White Man's Religion. Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Anywhere um, books. Anywhere, anywhere in the world books are sold. All right. People send me pictures of it in right. different bookstores. So you have to get that book, man. It's an awesome book. You definitely need to read it because whether you're black or white, you know what I'm saying? If you're white and you're offended, buy it to see if you still will be offended. <laughs> <laughs> if you're black and you want to feel like, hey, let me see what, what this religion all about, even though maybe you're not Christian. I, I believe it's just a great book to read, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, just so you can go ahead and broaden your horizon. If you're a, a great argue, person that like to argue, it'll help you with your argumental points because he's going to always put some data behind what it is he's talking about. So the next time you at the party and somebody bring up something, you can seem smart like this guy. All right? So anyway, thank you, Doc, man. You. Another one in the books. Bring the smoke, baby. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is Pastor Maxwell of New Beach Grove Baptist Church, and I need you to help us evangelize. I don't need you to go knock on doors. I don't need you to go in the streets right now. What I need you to do is follow us on our social media platforms and share the videos and tell other people to follow us. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So please follow Newbies Grove, follow Dr. Willard Maxwell, follow us on these platforms, and share our platform with your friends, and even people that you may not know that are your friends on Facebook or your acquaintances on Instagram. Why? We want to get the word of God out to the people, and we need your help. Become an evangelist from your own home just by following us on your phone. Love you all. Thanks.